Hello and welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. How are you this week, Paddy? I am absolutely fantastic, Gary, although we're recording this quite early. Like, we normally record quite early on a weekend morning, but today we are recording extra early because by the time this comes out, I'll have been to Paris, I'll have been to Euro Disney, and I'll have had a good time. So that's where I'm on my way to. Taking over the French capital. Nice. Yeah, bringing back the Parisi tribe, you know, my brethren, those uh, Celtic warriors, you know yourself, Gary, as a very strong uh, <laughs> R1BL21 brother. One R1BL1 supremacy. Uh, yeah, so other than that, we're going to spend a bit of time talking about the kidneys <laughs> and because we're still doing this medical exercise series and what we want is that we're being comprehensive and we're covering all of the main uh, conditions that might affect people throughout their lives um, I've had clients who've had uh, kidney disease of a, of a genetic origin and then of course we've had some clients over time especially as they get older who might have a declining kidney function and these questions come up time and time again as to whether or not one should exercise if they have a kidney disease whether or not exercise plays a role in the prevention and management of kidney disease. And that's what we're going to discuss in this podcast. So first and foremost, the thing that we should understand is the basic role of the kidneys. And there's, believe it or not, there are much like there are fitness influencers. There are also medical influencers. So doctors who spend their time tweeting and sharing quotes and papers and all that sort of thing. And there's uh, one nephrologist, which is a kidney doctor who uh, I quite enjoy listening to. His name is Dr. Joel Topf. And one of the things he says is that saying the byproduct of the kidneys is urine is like saying the product of a factory is pollution. I said product first time, or byproduct, I meant to say product. Urine is a byproduct, but the product is homeostasis. So kidney doctors love to remind you of that because sometimes we think of the kidneys as just being where our urine comes from. And we don't realize that without that very vital function, without all the filtration functions and everything else, we would not be able to live. Because fundamentally what our kidneys do is they regulate really important things like the quantity of electrolytes in our blood. So for example, um, potassium is a, is a common example that if it goes too high or too low, you die. Calcium, too high or too low, you die. Blood pH, too high or too low, you die. So there's all these um, basic uh, physiological homeostatic mechanisms that are maintained within very narrow ranges and the kidneys play a very important role in maintaining that and when kidney function starts to decline and that starts to go awry we end up with serious problems you know for example one of the things that will happen when people have severe kidney disease is they'll often get lots of heart disease complications because these electrolytes interfere with the function of the heart and you can get things like chaotic heart rhythms heart attacks etc so the kidneys really important and those functions that fit within that, that allow for normal kidney function or normal bodily homeostasis, I should say, would be the things like regulating fluid and electrolyte balance. As I said, um, the fluid function is incredibly important when someone does not have uh, appropriate fluid management by their kidneys, they can end up excreting far too much water from their kidneys 
or far too little. So you can get fluid overload or you can get total dehydration. Both of those things can occur in different kidney diseases. We obviously get the production of urine, which is basically allowing for this regulation. We get the maintenance of normal blood pH. So your blood doesn't end up being too acidic or too alkaline. It's a very important organ for the regulation of blood pressure. And that ends up going in both directions where if you have high blood pressure, it damages your kidneys. And if you have damaged kidneys, it can compromise your blood pressure. EPO production or erythropoietin. So that's that drug that you'll hear of endurance cyclists, for example, taking that plays a really important role in uh, creating new red blood cells. So one of the things you'll see in kidney disease is because the kidneys uh, secrete EPO, they end up getting uh, anemia because they don't have this EPO production anymore. And then they become anemic where they don't have um, enough hemoglobin or red, red blood cells. The kidneys are also responsible for producing the active form of vitamin D. And obviously they regulate calcium as one of the electrolytes and therefore bone homeostasis. So again, people have kidney disease. They end up with lots of complications related to their bones, osteoporosis, osteodystrophy, which we'll talk about later. And then finally, not, there are other things, of course, but the final big one are things like drug and toxin excretion. So you'll have some medications that can damage your kidneys and people can get kidney disease from certain drugs because those drugs are excreted through the kidneys. So as you can tell, there's a lot going on there. And if we were to have things that went wrong, it would not be a very good situation. And with all of that happening, obviously, many people will have come across the the basics of um, how the kidneys work in things like, you know, junior cert, or I don't know, what's the equivalent, middle, high school, biology, um, or even science, you'll have come across things like, here's the, here are the, here's the kidney, here are the nephrons, here are the blood vessels. You don't need to know too much about it, only to know that um, within the kidney, what ends up happening is we get the diversion of blood flow. So we get these uh, arteries that run into the kidney, and that's basically the blood that's coming from all the other areas of the body. So the blood flows through the kidney, and then it interacts with um, specialized areas of the kidney to uh, allow filtration to take place. So when something is filtered through, um, that ends up going into um, these little tubes that will eventually then lead to your ureters and urethra to form urine. So filtration takes place, reabsorption takes place, secretion takes place. And all of this process is what enables that urine to be appropriate um, for basically maintaining that whole homeostatic, um, those homeostatic mechanisms that we touched on. So if you want to learn more about that, you can just Google kidney physiology, kidney anatomy. It's not really important or appropriate to discuss it on a podcast, but um, that's that's the basics of how the kidneys work yeah and the way i always think of it because again remember guys i am stupid right the way i always think of it is the kidneys are a super advanced filter right and yes. <laughs> some kidney specialists don't like saying that but i want to i'm going to use that uh, analogy because i think it is quite appropriate so they're basically filtering the blood right um but they're super advanced so what i mean by that is it's probably more appropriate to think of them like uh, a filter on i don't know the water supply of like a i don't know a fucking water park or something right and you have to keep the water in the water park at a certain you know it has to have a certain amount of chlorine in it it has to have a certain amount of xyz in it 
whatever, right? You have to keep it at the right pressure so that you can pump it up to the top of the water slide, right? So the kidney, yeah, okay, it's filtering out any bits of dirt or whatever that's in the, the water park, you know, like get into water supply in the water park. But it's also doing these other things because it has a super advanced computer in it so that it goes, oh, well, actually the chlorine level in the pool is dropping. So we need to get more chlorine in there, right? Or, oh, the chlorine level is too high we need to get more water in there to dilute it, right? So it's staying on top of making sure that the 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 water in the water park is at the right place. You know, it's like okay, this is this is dialed in for what we need: the chlorine levels, the whatever other electrolytes that they need in it, um, the pressure, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it's basically a super advanced filter, right? And I the reason I think this is an important analogy even though some people don't like it is that it actually i think really helps us understand the things that go wrong with the kidney which is obviously important for this episode right because if you think of it as a filter what what could go wrong with a filter or what are the two things that are probably going to go wrong with a filter right we have too much stuff to filter it gets overloaded right that's you know if you all if anyone who's had a filter at all of anything you know if you just see a load of dirt accumulate on it right it's not able to appropriately filter because there's too much too high a volume of you know whatever needs to be filtered it's going to get backed up right issues are going to happen right obviously as well then if we have a filter and we absolutely blast a power hose into it right? Like there's so much water, so much stuff coming into it that it just like you're overwhelming it. Like that's obviously not appropriate as well for that filter, right? And I think that's kind of appropriate to understand for kidney disease, because two of the issues that come along with kidney disease or precipitate kidney disease, we'll talk about in a second. Um, But it's also appropriate or it's important to understand that because the kidneys are like this super advanced supercomputer uh, of a filter, there's a lot going on. Just like with a filter of anything, you know, you want to have like a huge surface area, right? That's that's what you want. Ideally, you want to have this huge surface area so that you can filter things more appropriately, right? But it also, because we're interacting with the blood, we want to have this huge su- surface area so that we can interact with the blood. So your blood vessels all the stuff within the kidney as long as well as all of the specialized cells within the kidney they're actually seem like they are excessively complex but a lot of that complexity is so that they can have a huge surface area right but unfortunately if you've got a huge surface area that can lead to a situation where more things can go wrong you know there's more points of contact if you will where oh something can go wrong at this point Right. But anyway, hopefully that lays the the groundwork for this episode. And what do we actually want to talk about in this episode? Not kidney physiology. What are we What are we talking about, Gary? Yeah. So we want to talk about the role of exercise in kidney disease. And the first step to understanding that is the role of exercise um, in basically maintaining normal kidney function in a state of health. And sometimes people get carried away with this type of, type of thing. I get a lot of questions about this, where people will say like. How do I optimize my organ function, you know, through exercise, through nutrition and this type of thing? Or they, and they'll ask about a particular organ. Um, and you basically just want to live a healthy lifestyle and things will be fine. <laughs> like that's the case for the vast majority of organs that we make our generic recommendations all the time because 
it takes care of everything. And, you know, I think sometimes people think that having a holistic view of health involves having all these incredibly nuanced things that you do for each organ and that maintains everything working together. But the real holistic view, especially when it comes to exercise and nutrition, is understanding that if you eat a healthy diet in the way that we normally describe it, you exercise regularly and you don't smoke, you don't drink much, etc. All these organs are going to function just fine. Okay. Unless there's another insult to them, you've done all that you can for your lifestyle because everything works together. And that's very much the case when it comes to understanding the kidneys, because it's not like there's a very specific action of exercise where you strengthen a particular type of the kidney or part of the kidney or anything, but rather you have to ask yourself, right, what contributes first and foremost to a decline in kidney function? Two of the biggest things are hypertension and type two diabetes. So basically um, high blood glucose and high blood pressure. They're two of the things that massively contribute um, to, to kidney disease. Uh, you, you have many, many other types of kidney disease, but they're two very strong contributors. And another very strong contributor that's worth throwing in there as well is just aging. Okay. So everyone's going to have a natural age-related decline in kidney function. And the more of these other things you have going on, like high blood pressure, high blood glucose, et cetera, the more accelerated that, that accelerated that process is going to be. And what we see is that, obviously, we've touched on many times, exercise is very potent at reducing blood pressure, okay? So it's going to stop you or reduce your risk of developing hypertension. It's also going to potently reduce your risk of developing type 2 diabetes. And in the case that you do have type 2 diabetes or just maybe pre-diabetes, you have high blood glucose, exercise is really going to help with the regulation um, of that blood glucose and bring it down a bit, bring it down after meals, etc. So when we consider those avenues as to how we might get to the place of having kidney disease, exercise is going to play uh, an important role. So when it comes to understanding kidney disease itself, they're the two lar largest contributors really in terms of blood pressure um, and blood glucose in the form of hypertension and type 2 diabetes. There are many, many other types of kidney disease from um, insults from specific drugs, from, you know, recurrent UTIs, kidney stones, various autoimmune diseases, uh, genetic conditions, etc. So there's a long, long, long list of kidney diseases that can occur. A lot of them, especially like, you know, the genetic conditions, autoimmune conditions, etc., you're not going to prevent that with exercise. Like that's not what we're talking about, but rather that exercise will play a role in the management and preservation of your health. So within the confines of discussing kidney disease, um, because we have all these different different diseases going on, we want to have a, a metric that we can use to try to understand um, how these different diseases compare in terms of their effect on someone's kidney function. And that falls under the umbrella of chronic kidney disease. So it's kind of like thinking about if someone has, let's say, high blood pressure, they can have high blood pressure for many different reasons, but we can still measure their blood pressure as a common metric between different diseases. Same thing goes for kidney disease. So under the umbrella of chronic kidney disease, you've got different stages from stage one to stage five. And these stages are graded with in terms of like normal function, mild kidney disease, end-stage chronic kidney disease, etc. And the metric that's used there is glomerular filtration rate or estimated glomerular filtration rate. 
All that means is how the filtration function is working within an area of the kidney called the glomerulus, which is basically the first barrier that those arteries are going to encounter when they flow into the kidney. So all it is is a filtration barrier. And this is effectively telling you this grading of GFR. What it's telling you is how well that filter, like Paddy was talking about previously, how well that's working. So is that filter clogged up? Are the you know filtration mechanisms damaged? Is there damage to the, the kidney tissue itself? Whatever it happens to be, whatever the insult is, we can put them together under that bracket of the glomerular filtration rate. And that gives us an understanding as to how severe this chronic kidney disease is, regardless of where one is in terms of the cause itself. So with that said, obviously, the more severe the kidney disease is, the worse the filtration function is going to be, and therefore the more complications one would expect to have. And when you get towards that end stage of chronic kidney disease, that's where things like dialysis, which we'll touch on in a moment, um, and also things like transplant, for example, would uh, come into the question. Because you're basically at the point where this kidney or these kidneys no longer keeping up with what we need in terms of the regulate regulatory mechanisms. And now we're going to have to deal with consequences of that with um, fluid overload, with uh, excessively high electrolytes and cardiac complications, and many, many other consequences. So in patients who have chronic kidney disease, um, regardless of where they're on that spectrum, uh, and assuming they are not yet at the point of dialysis, because we'll touch on that after, we see that the present or the carrying out of exercise improves kidney function. So that glomerular filtration rate that can be improved and its delay can be um, slowed down by performing regular exercise and being physically active. We've also got improvements in blood pressure in people with chronic kidney disease when they exercise, better glucose control, particularly if we have altered gl glucose control as part of um, their kidney disease. Uh, weight management is improved by exercise as well. And we know that uh, weight management is something that's going to be important in terms of the progression of chronic kidney disease and also because of its relation to things like glucose control and blood pressure. And then another element of that is muscle mass and physical function. Obviously, exercise improves muscle mass and physical function, and that goes for people with kidney disease. But there are many different changes in chronic kidney disease in terms of its being, you know, uh, a chronic inflammatory state in, in many cases, um, also in terms of the dysregulation of the uh, electrolyte uh, homeostasis in terms of the effects on things like EPO and the associated comorbidities, so other diseases that are going along with this. All of this generally leads to a loss of muscle mass and a decline in physical function, decline in bone mass, etc., that would be improved again by partaking in exercise. And when it comes to the bones themselves, as I said previously, the kidneys play a key role in, in regulating the mechanisms that, that keep your bones strong. Okay, so you don't want too much bone resorption. So you don't want to be breaking down your bones and, you know, constantly taking calcium out of your bones. And we also don't want the kind of opposite side of the spectrum to occur where sometimes you might think, oh, well, if we're, if we're laying down loads of extra deposits of bone, then that's a, that's a good thing. That's going to strengthen my bones. But sometimes in some disease states, what can occur is this becomes dysregulated. So instead of 
for example, think about like building a wall. There's a specific process. So you're you you're laying down your bricks, you're doing them in order, you're making sure they're in play in place properly, and then you're moving them around, making sure that the wall looks sturdy overall. If you were to just totally rush that process and put bricks anywhere, not put them in order, you end up with a weaker wall. So you've you've just not put it up properly. It's just not, it's it's got little holes, it's got gaps, it's got weak points. And that's what occurs in some diseases of the bone where you'll have some areas that are there's loads of bone that's been laid down really quickly here really lazily it's not structurally competent then there's another area where something hasn't been laid down and that's what we refer to as osteodystrophy so you've got osteoporosis which is just the general weakening of the weakening of the bones loss of bone mineral density and then you've got osteodystrophy where you get similar features but it's just a bit more chaotic and both of those things occur in the presence of kidney disease. And as you can imagine, we discussed it many times before, exercise and particularly resistance exercise is very important for strengthening your bones. And you can imagine if this is an elderly person who's got chronic kidney disease, they're dealing with all the complications associated with that. And then they happen to get a hip fracture. Now they're in a dire position. Now it's, now it's a, a really difficult uh, situation to deal with, especially if they've got a fracture in bones that are already not laying down properly. You can imagine the healing mightn't be great. So all of these uh, factors related to bone metabolism are deranged in kidney disease and exercise tends to um, then improve that. Because what we see is that hip fracture rate and other fracture rates basically increase linearly as you go up the stages of chronic kidney disease. So <laughs> for kidney disease, um, that's of a stage three, to a stage four, and then to those that are on dialysis, the fracture rate basically continues to increase because of this compromise in bone function. So as you can tell, there's a lot going on there. Uh, the kidneys are related to basically every other organ in the body. Um, but overall, by exercising, we improve baseline function, reduce the decline with age and with various disease states, and then also manage the comorbid states like osteoporosis, high blood pressure, etc. Yeah, and I think it, one of the things that gets a lot of people with this is that they'll often hear little bits of sound bites. For example, they'll hear that a high protein diet damages the kidneys, right? So that leads people to not eat enough protein, mm -hmm. right? But they'll also see this, and you see this all the time in exercise populations especially people you know maybe in the bodybuilding community a little bit more because they generally try to get more blood work done and whatever but they will get their blood work done and they'll get uh, an estimated gf4 right mm -hmm. and that's based on creatinine right so what often happens is you hear these little sound bites of oh someone has their egf4 done and it's come up in a, a terrible position or oh, you have you know kidney you know you have a kidney disease whatever something's going wrong there right but is that actually an issue or is it more so related to the fact that this individual has higher levels of muscle mass in general has maybe exercised you know in the last few days um maybe they also take creatine right um so are we putting you know, any focus really, or less focus maybe uh, on EGF4 and only, we, we should only really care about actual GF4, right? Like your actual, uh, the actual number rather than this estimated number. And the reason I bring that up is because 
this is one of those things that you'll see stated all the time when people push back on exercise in someone that has kidney disease, they'll go, oh no, exercise is actually really bad for the kidneys. You know, I've seen so many people with their EGF or, you know, in a terrible place, uh, even though they exercise. So is this much of a concern or what's the story there? Yeah. So you're dead right. Like the, this is a common theme when it comes to discussing exercise in general, that like blood tests and different medical examinations need to be taken in the context of, you know, is this person an athlete or is this person a member of the general population? Uh, even like just baseline levels of creatinine are going to vary depending on someone's level of muscle mass. So even if they haven't exercised, you're if you're if you have a bodybuilder, they're going to have a much higher level of just baseline creatinine than a 50 year old uh, lady uh who's quite frail for example 50 kilo 80 year old lady even who's quite frail if you have that lady she's going to have a a lower level of baseline creatinine so if you're comparing those two things without taking into consideration you know the other factors then you might misinterpret that this is a kidney function problem as opposed to an overall uh, difference in the physiological state and so that is something that's definitely of concern and particularly when it comes to you know heavy exercise can derange things like levels of creatinine creatine kinase and we also see this in uh, liver function tests and liver enzymes so these different uh, blood tests that someone might take if they were trying to work up someone who might have kidney disease disease let's say could be misinterpreted if, if that wasn't uh, understood in that case. And the same thing then can be said for things like understanding the relevance of a high protein diet, because, you know, discussing the protein content of the diet is something that uh, a dietitian who specializes in kidney disease might discuss with someone who has established kidney disease. But what's often misinterpreted here is that high protein diets damage the kidneys in healthy people. Um, because you're looking at inappropriate metrics. So overall, the the message there, and this goes much beyond just kidney disease, the message there is that if you go to your doctor, your GP, let's say, and something seems very out of the normal range, and you're kind of thinking, you know, my health's actually pretty good. It's kind of weird that I'm going for all these tests. Make sure that your doctor's aware that you were at a two hour CrossFit class that morning, you know, <laughs> or you're on some extreme diet or something. There could just be something in your blood test that's just thrown off by the fact that you've been putting all this extremely heavy stress uh, on your body. And it's not really a disease state at all. It's just emerging from exercise. So that goes for the kidney, but it goes for many other uh, areas of physiology as well. Yeah. Like you see that all the time, even like with a uh, heart, stuff you know someone got a fucking an ecg and they're like oh look, there's something not going on here and you're like look i'm an actual i'm I'm an athlete i have like a resting heart rate of like 45 here i do a lot of cardiovascular conditioning like is this you comparing me to a sicker population like are you basically comparing the appropriate population you know and that's something you need to discuss with your doctor if you are investigating anything you need to make them aware of what population you actually are like what you actually do because they're just going to assume that you're just the general population and while yes you are the general population right you need to be stratified you need to be specific in terms of oh i actually do exercise oh i do actually eat a higher protein diet or oh actually i am taking creatine or whatever you know like if you got a blood test for i don't know your vitamin b12 or something right and you didn't tell the doctor that you were on 
uh, fucking B complex uh, vitamin or whatever, you know, a supplement. Like they're going to look at that and go, what the fuck is going on here? What, what are you doing? You know? So you, you have to relay to them what you're actually doing, you know? And this is especially true if you are doing stuff like anabolic steroids or whatever, because that, that changes everything as well related to various organs, you know, but there is also just on, <clears throat> before we move on from this, there is also genetic and racial differences uh in some of these figures so you'll see oftentimes that uh black populations at least in america i'm not actually sure about africa because there are you know specific selection pressures and different things that occurred in uh, america um but they like the black populations in america have quote-unquote worse uh kidney function you know but is it just a an actual worse kidney function or is it a genetic thing, you know? Um, so it is important, again, just when we're talking about like putting yourself in the right population category, you need to be aware of that so that you can actually compare to the right population, you know? Yeah, and I know that there's a lot, there's, I often see kind of debates popping up about that in terms of race being, race being part of GF4 calculations it depends what you're using but race being part of that ga4 calculation and you know um it seems like there's debate even among like kidney doctors as to whether or not that should be um included included is this an example of pre-existing bias as you said there is it like i think like i think this is something that's of general importance in many areas of health but like under like just saying white and black misses out on so much genetic diversity that exists. Like if you if you look at the, the diversity within just Africa, and then you just say that's the black race. It's that it's just totally uh, inappropriate in terms of a blanket a black a blanket understanding as to what someone's background and um, genetic history is or genetic risks, etc. So um, that's something that you will see a debate on. I'm not sure if that's settled among kidney doctors as to how you might best um, include that. But again, it's one of those things to understand because we do see that, that from different ethnic populations across the world, there's different baseline risks of uh, kidney disease and of many other different types of diseases as well. So again, it's like the exercise case understand where you're actually coming from like does my population does my genetic history my family history etc am i at baseline higher risk of this disease and is this affecting how i'm presenting today so again just another important factor in individualizing your case and the final thing on, on that there in terms of again related to this question of is exercise appropriate um considering exercise as a special population would be the question of resistance training as it relates to blood pressure. Because overall, and and I won't touch on this too much because we've had such extensive podcasts on basic exercise guidelines, the baseline recommendations for people with kidney disease in terms of exercise don't change, okay? And we, we've said this in many of these episodes now in relation to different diseases that you should basically cons consider yourself to be a member of the general population while appreciating that you might have certain barriers that stop you from achieving normal exercise guidelines. So you still want to be trying to get your resistance training in, um, you know, at least twice per week, even if you have established kidney disease, then with your aerobic exercise, 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic exercise. For more on that, go back to the basic exercise guidelines that we discussed um, and being generally physically active. So those guidelines still apply here. 
Um, but there's there is obviously there is talk definitely in the research in terms of trying to so specify this a bit further. Like, is this the exact same for people on dialysis, people with stage one, stage two, stage three, etc., kidney disease? Because we just don't have that level of granularity in terms of trials. So for now, the guidelines remain the same. But that brings us to this question of, well, if blood pressure is compromised, um in people with kidney disease or people have high blood pressure that's causing their kidney disease, what role does exercise play here? Like, should I be lifting heavy weights? Is that harmful? Is that going to increase my blood pressure? And this is something that we've discussed in the past again, as it's a, it's quite a common myth or not even a myth, but just a general misunderstanding where people think that what occurs acutely in the short term, in terms of the spike in blood pressure that does occur for sure when you're lifting heavy weights is that the same as what happens longer term? And the answer is no, in that what we see is that particularly if you're doing like whole body exercises where you're really like bracing hard and exerting yourself, you're doing heavy leg presses, you're doing heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, we see huge increases in blood pressure during these exercises. But what we see longer term is that people who are doing these exercises regularly, their blood pressure actually reduces. So the adaptations that occur in response to training are not necessarily the same as the events that occur during the training itself. So despite the fact that you have an increase in blood pressure, these things still reduce your blood pressure. So that's a really, really important point to grasp. And now, of course, there might be exceptions here. For example, in people who are on dialysis, which I'll explain in a moment, they can have what's referred to as an arteriovenous fistula. And this is where you basically join together an artery and, and vein in the arm. And, you know, it might be that doing some types of exercise, depending on the integrity of your fistula, how new it is, where it is, etc. Maybe that spike in blood pressure might be harmful. It's again, we don't have that level of granularity in the evidence. And it depends on the type of exercise that you're doing. So there might be some kind of nuanced edge cases where maybe this change in blood pressure matters. Another one would be if you've got established cardiovascular disease on top of your kidney disease, or you've had recent events. So all those things change the picture for sure, make it more complex, which is why you discuss with your doctor in terms of exercise clearance. But as a very basic summary, resistance training, lifting weights, despite what happens in the moment, does reduce your blood pressure. And in many cases, to the same degree, or maybe even better in some cases than aerobic exercise. 100%. And again, it's comes to this thing where you're like, you're thinking about populations because it, it makes sense why people think that, oh, uh, you know, lifting weights increases your blood pressure because you see this, you know, big, huge bodybuilder guy walking around and he's basically like purple, you know, yeah. every time he lifts weights, his head is, it looks like it's about to explode. It's gone so red. Right. So you look at that and you go, okay, geez, like clearly he's walking around high blood pressure lifting weights is not good for your blood pressure but like if we're actually thinking about the population that they fall under he's probably on steroids yeah. <laughs> you know and that's probably a bigger contributor to his high blood pressure than lifting weights right uh, for natural populations i.e people that are not on performance enhancing drugs um it, it seems at least from my understanding and you seem to agree that lifting weights lowers blood pressure over yeah. time you know um so 
I just wouldn't be worried about this. And then again, if we've got relating this back to kidney disease specifically, lifting weights does two phenomenal things for kidney disease. It's lowering that blood glucose, right? And obviously that's, we'll call it improving metabolic health. Basically you're getting like contraction stimulated uh, glucose uptake. Um, and there's other stuff along with that, obviously, but you know, you're using your muscles, your muscles are your second, you could say biggest store of glucose. Um, and then also they use it up. So you're not just having it like stored. Um, so that's great. Again, as we said earlier on, that seems to be one of the contributors to kidney disease, you know, high blood glucose levels, and it also lowers blood pressure. So again, we're attacking the other side of things. We're getting better blood glucose, yeah, I can't even speak, better blood glucose management and lowered blood pressure. Ideal, right? So I know, again, people you will see online, some people saying like, oh, lifting weights, don't do it if you're trying to prevent kidney disease or whatever. But I just don't see any reason for that yeah i agree and that brings us then to the the kind of final extreme cases of one being on dialysis so these are for people with end-stage kidney disease effectively so you've got people who are on dialysis who will very often be awaiting transplant or those who are about to get a transplant or have had a transplant etc okay so you can get a transplant of a kidney um, or you can be put on what's referred to as renal replacement therapy as a broad category. So dialysis, you've probably heard of dialysis. I think most people have, but they might know exactly what it is. And fundamentally what it is, is basically performing the functions of the kidneys outside the body. And I think when you see the amount of technology that's required to do this effectively, it gives you just this almost like miraculous appreciation for how our bodies work. Because you look at the size of the kidney, and then you look at the size of everything that's going on with the dialysis and the millions and millions and millions of dollars that have gone into developing this technology. Um, and you think, God, like how, how, how does this work? How are, how are we not all sick all the time that these kidneys just work? Um, but they do. And it's great. So we can perform the function of the kidneys outside the body. Two main types, there's hemodialysis, where the dialysis takes place via your blood, and then there's peritoneal dialysis, where it basically occurs within your abdominal cavity. Hemodialysis with the blood is the, the primary type of dialysis that you're going to see or come across. And basically, what this means is that you've got um, these tubes or catheters that are insert, inserted within your blood vessels. So this creates a, a circuit, basically, where you have blood going into the body and blood coming out of the body. So the blood coming out of the body is basically like the, the, the blood that would normally be flowing into your kidneys. The kidneys aren't doing their job. So we take this blood and we take it out of the body and we run it through a dialysis machine, which involves basically trying to create a filtration barrier. So a semi-permeable bar semi -permeable barrier like that, that would exist in the kidneys. And then you've got a fluid um, called a dialysate that basically allows for the regulation and the appropriate transport of the different uh, electrolyte fluids, et cetera, uh, between that fluid and your blood. So it's basically trying to recreate the conditions that would normally occur within the kidneys. And what this means is that when a patient comes in and they go on dialysis, they might come in totally fluid overloaded, you know, their electrolytes are all deranged and everything. And the goal is that after that dialysis session, that things will be more regulated and back to their homeostatic state. 
And then what happens is someone will go home and everything will gradually become more and more deranged again. And then they come back in for dialysis session again. So it's very simply taking the function of the kidney and handing them over to this dialysis machine. So that's what's occurring. It's artificial equipment and it's removing the excess water, solutes and toxins as well um, from the blood. So you can imagine this is quite an invasive procedure. It takes a lot of time. People end up spending a lot of time in the hospital. It's a, a very difficult uh, part of someone's life because it, you, you can't really be doing much else if you constantly have to be into the hospital for dialysis. Um, but you can also imagine that by the time someone gets to that state, their health isn't fantastic. Okay, so you're going to have cardiovascular complications from the kidney disease itself. You might have some of these bone complications we touched on. You might have a loss of muscle deconditioning, etc. So for people on dialysis, again, what we see is that exercise plays a really important role. Now, most people on dialysis, despite standing to benefit from exercise, don't exercise. And it's completely understandable, okay, because there are major barriers, including tiredness, muscle fatigue, other symptoms that might be associated with their disease state. And then um, concerns maybe about the fistula that I mentioned previously. Am I going to injure that? Is this safe, etc.? So there are significant barriers here. And these are going to vary massively by person. There are some absolute contraindications. So if someone has just started dialysis, they're maybe having complications related to the heart. They've had a recent uh, cardiovascular event. They've got ongoing infection. The long, long list of potential contraindications to someone partaking in exercise when they're on dialysis. But that, again, is something that you discuss with your doctor. And if you go to any websites like the National Kidney Foundation or kidney.org, etc., you'll see all these kidney organizations promote performing exercise for someone that's on dialysis. But the problem is it's it's just there are barriers in fairness for people to be able to engage with this properly. But in the case that you go ahead and you do that, you're aiming for the exercise <laughs> guidelines as normal, there's there's the bone side of things, which I already mentioned. So you're going to get the benefits in terms of the loss in bone mass, reduce, reduction in risk of fracture, et cetera. But there are two other really big categories that are important here. One being the cardiovascular system. So in the case that someone is on dialysis, as I said, they're going to have cardiovascular complications. And then what exercise does is it improves baseline heart function, cardiac function. It improves the autonomic nervous system regulation of the heart, which can be deranged quite a bit uh, in kidney disease, and also improves hypertension. So if someone has high blood pressure, exercise is really going to help regulating that. So you get strong cardiovascular benefits. And because cardiovascular disease is so strongly related to kidney disease, um, it's a, a really important area. And then the second big area, intuitively enough, are muscular benefits. So in kidney disease, Muscle atrophy, decline in muscle mitochondrial content, fitness, deconditioning, loss of function are all really common features. And we've got that interplay then between the muscle and the bone where the overall body is just becoming more frail in terms of its physical capabilities. And exercise, naturally enough, can improve muscle function. So it's going to uh, improve, the, improve the decline or reverse the decline of muscle atrophy and deconditioning and allow you to have better physical function. And again, that's been studied in dialysis patients. There are exercise trials in this population. It's not just us guessing or assuming this does occur. So 
if you're in that position or you know someone who's facing dialysis, they're currently on dialysis, exercise is something you should be looking to do. Um, but I totally appreciate that if you're in that position, you might know where to start. You might be worried about safety. So it's something that you should speak to your doctor about. And also, if possible, depending where you are in the world, um, if you can, you know, discuss or meet with other people who are on dialysis, who maybe have gotten involved in exercise groups, or maybe there's a personal trainer or physiotherapist in the area that works with these patients, that would be an excellent option. But of course, unfortunately, is not accessible to everyone. 100%. Um, but other than dialysis, the final one then is transplant. Okay, so this is obviously end stage kidney disease where we need we need a new one you know we need new kidneys so in this case there's we take all those barriers that i touched on in terms of dialysis and it just becomes even more complex because obviously making generic recommendations for someone who's had a transplant is incredibly difficult because again what we see is surprisingly enough exercise improves all of these same things in people who've had transplants okay and there are probably additional benefits as well but overall um, exercise is of benefit again to this population this again has been studied uh, but we're lacking you know very specific guidelines because it's difficult which is fair enough because someone has the transplant let's say so they've gone through surgery they've got a surgical wound that's healing um, maybe they've had complications in the area maybe they ended up getting an infection or something they're also on immunosuppressive medications and probably other medications as well to manage their overall health so there are other things that might interfere with their ability to per partake in exercise um but overall what we see is that even in terms of like the health of the the health of the graft and, and long long-term healing improvement of comorbidities improvement of long-term um risks of morbidity and mortality exercises of huge benefit here the difficulty is for someone in that position especially if they're already elderly and they have other diseases ongoing to be able to safely and confidently engage in exercise but again what we see is that the more physically active you are the more exercise you do the more benefit you're going to get here in terms of your health so transplant is a very specialist area in any area of health so that's absolutely something you discuss with your doctor you don't just show up to your personal trainer and say hey i've had a transplant can you make me a program like they're probably going to freak out themselves i don't i don't know i have no idea and the ideal there is that you're you've discussed with your doctor and then maybe your doctor could provide a letter or a liaise with a personal trainer or a physio in the community like that's the ideal situation not always possible but uh try to exercise if you can that's my best advice 100%. um so i think that covers pretty much everything that yeah. we want to cover uh there was just one thing in those counterindications that we probably should have mentioned as well it is pretty obvious but like combat sports or contact sports yes probably yes. not ideal as a uh a method of exercise you know yeah. like you don't want to be like oh I'm actually just, yeah i'm just gonna go to uh, mma training yeah. and get kidney punched and then a nice kick to the fucking kidney as well. Like, like that would be less than ideal. Right. Yeah, not uh, ideal. Especially if you're on the transplant uh, list, <laughs> yeah. but this is the thing as well, right? Like in dialysis and in the case of someone needing a transplant or who have gotten transplant, like you're probably not in the best of health 
in general, which can make exercise like that. It's just another barrier to exercise. You know, you're probably thinking more about your health in the context of a disease state rather than thinking about, oh, well, what can I do to promote my health? You know, you're probably tired. You've got all these extra barriers like time as well. Like if you're on dialysis, like you already have to allot time to go yeah. travel to get dialysis, to get dialysis. And then you're like, oh, well, that's all my free time for the week done. I still have to work. I still have to do X, Y, Z, you know? So there are all these barriers. We're not saying it's easy. We're just prevent presenting the evidence here that would suggest that if you can get some exercise in, it's probably going to lead to better outcomes in a disease state. But the vast majority of our, you know, interaction with this kind of stuff is in the actual preventative side of things. You know, it's like, okay, well, we just want to exercise because that improves kidney function by virtue of improving all of these other metrics that exercise improves. It also reduces the risk of kidney disease occurring. It also does all these things that look after any potential like comorbidities, like you're building extra bone strength, you're building extra muscle, et cetera, et cetera. It's doing all these different things that from a preventative standpoint would put you in a lower risk category. But then also if you were to get kidney disease, put you in a better position to be able to deal with the kidney disease, you know? Um, so that covers the vast majority of people. It's like that preventative stuff, just exercise, follow the general guidelines. However, if you do have kidney disease, it's still a good exercise or still a good idea to exercise. But like we've mentioned a few times, it is still a good idea to liaise with someone who actually knows about your case and your specifics rather than just going, oh, I'm on the transplant list. I'm going to take up a, you know, I don't know, rugby. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you have to be smart with this stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's, I think that's everything, guys. Um, You know, you mightn't personally find this to be of relevance to you. Uh, it might be at some point in your future, but maybe you know someone um, who has an established kidney disease or they're undergoing dialysis, etc. Um, And I, I think just one more thing on that is that if you're in that position, there's actually pretty good uh, support, at least in Ireland, to my knowledge of like, you know, people who have had transplants or people who are on dialysis etc so if you, like support groups and information that you can get from various organizations so do reach out to those as well if you're in that position so with that said uh if you'd like uh, to work with us at triage we do have coaching spaces available so if you're you know someone who wants to lose body fat you want to get some solid uh, goals in place for the new year you would like to finally start increasing your strength increasing your endurance improve your health you can work with us so we have a team of coaches all of whom have their own little subspecialties in terms of things that they do best and if you sign up with triage we'll allocate you to the best coach for you so if you're interested in that you can find information in the description box below if you're a trainer yourself or you're a budding trainer or someone who just wants to start uh, nutrition coaching you might need a nutrition certification and we do have one so you can subscribe or join the triage nutrition cert and get educated in nutrition so very comprehensive nutrition education that you're going to gain there you don't have to be a coach either you don't even have to want to be a nutritionist you might just want to do this for your own knowledge which is perfectly fine so check that out again in the description box below if you just want to engage with our free content, you're listening to the podcast. Thank you very much. Leave a rating and review. If you enjoy it, share it on your story. Let your friends know. 
Um, but we also have other content that we put out. So if you follow us on social media at Triage Method, you'll see lots of other free content from us uh, at Triage, but also from the individual coaches at Triage who put out great content. We also have a newsletter, the Triage Method newsletter, which you can subscribe to below and get weekly emails from us, exclusive content that doesn't go on our other social media. So you stand to benefit there as well. And other than that, I think that's everything. 100%. Anyway, enjoy, guys. Wonderful.